It's once again time for the Plastic Scale Miling Hour, talk radio for scale milers. Brought to you by Grex Airbrush. Grex Airbrush, evolution in perfection. This is episode number 68, published December 7th, 2013. When we return, I'll share with you a roundtable discussion I had during a recent visit to Pensacola, Florida. But first, this from Grex Airbrush. If you're like me, you want an airbrush that is reliable, easy to clean, and more importantly, comfortable in your hand. One that is intuitive to use, which gives you greater control as you apply paint to your model. Whether you have excellent dexterity or have stiffness and limited mobility, then the Grex Tritium Series is something you need to experience for yourself. Join the thousands of satisfied customers who find the pistol grip and trigger action design the answer whether doing fine, delicate work or spraying broad strokes to cover large areas. Grex offers a full line of airbrushes, spray guns, compressors, paints, and accessories. Grex Airbrush is the evolution in perfection. Find out for yourself by visiting them online at grexairbrush.com or by calling 626-289-7618 today. All right, we're here live from Phoebe's Hobby in Pensacola, Florida. This beats uh, the uh, sunshine here and warm temperatures beats being in Wisconsin where it's like 7 degrees and snowing. Uh, but we're down here today. Uh, we're spending some time with Mike and his crew uh, doing a Grex demo and also doing some Zeron Tool demos. Mike, thanks for having us in. Happy to have you here. Tell us a little bit about the store here. Well, Bobby's Hobby House has been a part of Pensacola since 1954. Uh, my grandparents started the business down in Brownsville, and uh, we've been in business for 59-plus years now. Uh, I'm the third generation to, to work in the business and trying to keep it going. Uh, we do plastic models, model railroads, radio control, art supplies, craft supplies, games, puzzles, kites, rockets, jewelry making, and probably several other things that I can't think of offhand. Well, it's, it's quite a diverse store. It's got that old hobby shop feel, which is a plus in itself, because you go into some of the newer, more corporate stores, they're sterile. Mm -hmm. uh, this has a feel. I mean, just since we've been here, we've done the demos. We've had an influx of people come in to, uh, to see what's going on. And got a couple modelers here, figure modelers. That, uh, that seems to be a big thing in the, in the hobby. It's modeling, it's painting, it's building, it's assembling, right? Yes. Gaming is what's really taking off uh, these days. You get to build your models and play with them, too, You know, which is cool. There was a time when we uh, said we don't play with our models, and there's some of us who think that playing with models is taboo, but hey, I if guess... If you do war gaming, that's part of the thrill, like building a railroad layout and then running it. Uh, you get to paint your troops and then move them around on the table. So it's, it's kind of like goes back to the guys that build models, stick a firecracker in and set them on fire. And boom, we all right? did that at one time or another. Yeah. So this is more of a sophisticated way of doing it. Uh, yes. <laughs> and actually it, it probably has a little bit different connotation as far as educational because you've got to think tactics as well. In the, histor in the historical games and even in a lot of the fantasy games, tactics are a big part of it. Uh, the luck factor isn't that big. Uh, and if the game's well designed, then the tactics that work in real life will be the most rewarding tactics to use in the game. What's some of the challenges with uh, painting miniatures, other than trying to get perfectly straight, thin lines with an airbrush? Uh, for me, usually uh, two of the big challenges is really just kind of uh, cleaning the model, making sure it's smooth and everything, and then really picking the colors. Because uh, nowadays you just have just a huge range of colors. It's it's mind-boggling. And then on top of the community growing, you may find a picture like, I really like that uh, that color. What color is that? And then you have to go in search of, you know, the colors. Uh, but... You know, those are those are two challenges that um, that I find, and then finally is just you know you start on one thing and then you realize oh I need 
I need this, like I may need uh, clippers now, or I need, you know, special stands, or you're always accumulating something. And we think that's a good thing. <laughs> you would. <laughs> we were sitting here just a few minutes ago sharing some of the new uh, products that are in the market uh, in the figure in, on the figure side. We're looking at some of the sculpture work that, to create the masters to give us the detail that we're seeing in some of these, and whether they be in resin, uh, injected, molded, or even uh, metal. It's just phenomenal how the this, this, yeah. Yeah, the, the, the how sculpting is amazing. I don't know how they get that kind of detail. I've tried it, and I know how hard it is to get there because I haven't got there yet. Uh, the sculpting in the in the companies out there now is just beautifully done. I think uh, a lot of it is they're starting to use uh, they're starting to use like three D uh, programming uh, programs. So much like a, an animator. Uh, for like Pixar or something, would use a program to make a 3D character on the movie screen. I think a lot of sculptors and companies are starting to use those similar programs to uh, create their miniatures. There's more and more of that, but so far it wor that works better for inanimate objects, like models of ships, uh, spaceships, things like that. Uh, the best figure sculpting is still done the traditional way by sculptors working in the uh, epoxy putty or other sculpting materials. Uh, and um, it certainly takes not just the right tools, but a lot of experience and a certain amount of talent uh, to get that kind of work. Uh, because you do see varieties, even in the same line, you'll see different grades of quality. And that's because different sculptors are doing, most companies have more than one sculptor that, that they work with. And so it's not uncommon uh, for some gamers or figure painters to uh, develop a favorite sculptor, and they'll buy that sculptor's products, whether he's doing them for Reaper or for a different uh, company line, uh, because uh, a lot of these sculptors have not just amazing competence, but a distinctive style of their own too. And you see that in the in the scale modeling guys that do uh, a lot of the aftermarket stuff. Uh, they're very good prototype builders, and uh, you can you can tell somebody's really good at a certain thing whether it's armor or aircraft conversions and they'll they'll you know they'll they got their start with one company but then they'll kind of go off and uh, do some work for another company one of the the beauties of, of what's going on uh to me and one of the reasons we're seeing such increases in the in the detail of everything that's out there whether it's in the gaming lines in the plastics lines in the aftermarket lines is they're learning from each other uh, that, you know, when the first aftermarket stuff came out and Verlinden came out with an aftermarket set, I mean, that was like the first time anybody had done that. And, you know, it was just whatever he came up with. The others were able to study what he's done and improve on that uh, and come out with even better and finer stuff. Uh, that there's, you know, in the industry we do sometimes run into the, the industry secrets of I'm not going to tell you how I cast things or I'm not going to tell you how I do things. Uh, in the gaming side, it's not so bad with that. In the gaming side, a lot of the sculptors will teach each other classes and uh, show each other, oh, here's how you do that. You know, here's, here's some tools, and I like this thing over here. You need one of these. A lot of those sculptors are freelancers that work with multiple companies. Uh, I, there are very few sculptors that are permanent staff for just one company these days. Uh, there are sculptors whose, as I was mentioning, different styles. Some of them that are very well known, like Sandra Garrity and Werner Klock, these are people who work with anywhere from two to half a dozen different companies selling their sculpts to them. So that makes for a much more open, I think, atmosphere. Uh, you don't see uh, proprietary secrets involved so much. You know, I have some experience in uh, managing a hobby retail location, and gaming uh, back in those days was really not something that was really something you saw a lot of space allocated to. I mean, it was kind of a dark, uh, something that some really strange people did, uh, you know. But as it's gotten more accepted and it's grown, and as you say, the, the, the figures have gone from being very basic toy soldierish, like you'd get in a, from Mattel back in the day, you know, bag of uh, 101 toy figures, you know, for ten bucks or whatever it was, you know, to today, they're each each is a piece of art. It's kind of drawn to. It's more mainstream modeling now because these guys are doing what the plastics guys have done, 
they're modifying the figures, they're adapting, they're making their own creation out of, well, I'm going to take this sword, this head, this torso, this creature, I'm going to combine them and make my own super figure. Mm -hmm. That's probably how most sculptors get started. It's just like in model building. You go from kit building to kit conversion to scratch building. And sculpting is the same way. You start by learning to convert kits, and then you start creating your own figures. And then, again, you're selling these guys uh, putties, tools, airbrushes. It's it's just continues to evolve. I mean, I look at these guys that do figures, and uh, they're buying the same tools that I'm buying. There's a lot of wonderful crossover between all of the different hobbies uh, of using the model railroad scenery and your 35th scale military dioramas or your gaming terrain. Uh, or some of the gaming manufacturers come out with some wonderful, you know, grasses and things like this that the 35th scale guys love. Um, that when it all feeds on each other, there's a lot of synergy there, and, and it can just make everybody better. Now, you guys uh, have lots of space here. you got lots of tables, so you can have guys that are gamers, guys that are plastic modelers. Uh, pretty much model railroaders come in here. What about some of the other aspects of your store? You've I mean, you've got quite a bit of everything here. We do. Uh, we've had art classes teaching acrylic painting in the in the store. We've done resin casting classes. Um, we've got people who come in and build models during the week and borrow our, our daylight lamps. And uh, that way, if you you know are in the middle of a project and you need a little bit more flat black, it's right here. Just go pick up a bottle and of course pay for it. it. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Um, or if you have questions on, hey, I'm having trouble doing this, you can grab one of us and say, hey, how do you do this? Well, that's one thing that you don't necessarily see um, in a lot of places. One of the complaints that people have is access to hobby shops. Uh, they're it, few and far between. They're fewer days. and farther between. I think the last time the numbers were tossed at me uh, by uh, an industry source, uh, I think nationwide we were looking at something like 1,500 retailers. It's pretty sad. It's pretty sad. Um, so we, they don't people that coming into the hobby or even people in the hobby don't have the access to each other. So we're relying more and more on the internet. Um, and of course, the the price of the hobby. Everybody says, well, it's getting to be expensive. Well, there's nothing that isn't expensive. Uh, we're finding out that you put the word RV associated with anything the prices are expensive for that too as living in a motorhome now uh so it gets harder to justify making a trip to a uh, hobby retailer 50 miles down the road if he specializes too much the one thing that really works in your benefit here is your diversification so anybody walking through this door you know i'm going to need paint i'm going to need tools i'm going to need this or that, chances are you're going to have it. We hope so. I mean, you we can't have everything. <laughs> you can't have everything. Yeah, for example, having an art department means that if someone needs brushes to paint a model with, we don't just have one little rack near the register. We have a whole aisle of brushes in the art department to choose from. All sorts of degrees of quality, size, and price. So that really helps in the crossover aspect. Everybody uses brushes. And you probably, again, a modeler who's going to do some custom creative... Uh, Mass, well, there's probably frisket paper over yes. there. As well as the liquid materials. Again, between having an art department and a craft department and the usual model supplies, we can offer a wide range of choices on how to do things. And it also opens the door to bring everybody in the family, even those who are not skill modelers or mm -hmm. not figures. You we know, try to have gamers. a little bit of something for everybody. I was telling the tale earlier today, uh, we do a lot of board games and such these days too, uh, card games. Um, as an example, a lot of times a family comes to town visiting, Pensacola is a good tourist spot, come see the beach, come see the Navy Museum, those are all good things, but come check out the hobby shop. You know, Particularly when it rains, you can't go to the beach when it rains, so you come hang out at the hobby shop. Well, the guy's up there looking at models and wants to spend an hour or so looking at all the piles of models. The wife and kids sometimes are not as excited about that. And uh, they need something to do. Uh, sometimes I'll grab one of these demo games. We have a, a whole pile of demo games in the store, and I'll sit them down and teach them to play a game. And uh, that keeps them busy, keeps them entertained, and a lot of time they, they find a game they like, and they'll pick that up for the family as well. Yeah, it's just like one thing. You go to a tourist destination, like Pensacola, as you're saying, there's days when it's sit inside and do nothing and watch TV 
or find something indoor to go do. And I'm going to go look for a hobby shop. And I just hope they're open, you know. And you guys are open Monday through Friday? Monday through Saturday, 9 to 6. So you're here? Most of the time. Most of the time. Do you ever go home, Mike? Occasionally. I try to sleep there. You try? I try. Yeah. What's some of the challenges you're facing today? Uh, as you said, the uh, the competition with the Internet. Uh, one of the biggest frustrations is our biggest competition is often our own suppliers. Uh, it's hard to compete with your own suppliers they can tend to sell it cheaper than you can because you're buying it from them. Uh, you have to find ways around that, uh, find ways to, to bring people in and to combat different things. Um, again, having the variety, having things that those guys don't have, uh, going farther and wider to try and find the right products. Um, there's just so much coming out. There was a time when any good hobby shop would pick up all of the newest kits. You can't do that these days. You'd go broke quickly. Um, there's just too much coming out, and a lot of it's too expensive. Uh, so you have to try and get your crystal ball out and guess what are people going to want. Um, we, of course, do special orders. Uh, that's harder these days because, again, with the Internet and everything, they can order it themselves and get it about as quick as you can. But we try to provide that service to, to get them to want to deal with us, uh, to want to come back to us. Yeah, there's so many guys out there, and there's gals too, and I don't want to be sexist about this, but there's so many people that have this thing that when they walk into a hobby shop, they should have everything that I want. That would be nice. <laughs> Wouldn't it, though? Yes. Wouldn't it be? I saw a hobby shop like that once, and then I woke up. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it, it, your customer base reaches, just give me an average, a 100-mile radius? Probably 50 mile radius. on a weekly basis, I would say within probably 100, 150, uh, something like that. Uh, we have fairly regular business from uh, as far away as Jacksonville, uh, Atlanta, um, Birmingham, New Orleans. Um, but that's that's, good not, that's not that's a few people coming True. that are willing to make the journey to come down here, and True. they're probably doing something else besides. Probably so. There's probably a couple that are dedicated and they're going to so. come. I've done that myself. Uh, but to have everything is just not... I mean, you could. There's nothing stopping you from stocking, like you said, every new release, every item, every manufacturer makes. I haven't won the lottery yet. Well, but as soon as I bills do. is the big impediment. <laughs> <laughs> but how many customers are going to come in and buy that yes. stuff? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. A lot of, model, yeah. a lot of hobby retailers have a lot of dead inventory. Yes, that happens. The trick is when people come in, they want to know what's new and then what's old. It's the in-between stuff you can't sell. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like, yeah, old cars. New mm -hmm. cars are yeah. very expensive, and then they go down in price, and then when they become collector's items, yes, you got to pay more for it. Sometimes, Sometimes more than you paid for the, when it was brand new. Sometimes you just got to wait for that item to get old enough to be worth something again. But at the same time, that's costing you as a yes, it store yes. owner money. Yes, it does. That's money in your pocket that you can't spend. True enough. He hasn't said anything yet. <laughs> I just want to say what brings me here is the fact that if I need a problem solved, I can't do that on the Internet. Yeah. I can't do that um, at some big box store. Mm -hmm. If I got some custom build I'm working on and I've got, I'm stuck, I can come in here, and Bob's probably done it. Bob probably did it, forgot how to do it, relearned how to do it, and now knows. Forgot it again. But at any rate, there's someone here who already has worked with that product, worked with that material. They can solve my problem like that, and then I'm on my way. Well, even our discussions earlier, talking yeah. about trying to do a straight line and you know have either a semi-solid demarcation line or a softer line, how to feather, as you were, you know, you were pointing out, you were having an issue doing a black-on-black -black model. Yeah. It's it's you, your solution, you know, was what you thought of, but mm -hmm. you, it's ability to come into a hobby shop and say, "Hey, this guy's got a good idea." And that's that's exactly it. You know, y'all are right. I I as a customer can go to the internet and get whatever I want, and have it directly sent to me. The thing is, is I choose to spend my money here because I want to support this place because they. They have helped me. They support me. They support the community. So I rightly should support them. Um, but like uh, like Alan said, is I can come in here and be like, you know, here's a problem. This is how I'm attacking it. And then, you know, 
Bob, Mike, Alan, Wendell, we, we can all suddenly powwow out and be like, well, maybe you try this. You could do this. You know, you can't, you can't really get that on the Internet. You know, it's, it's, that, it's that live interaction that, you know, can really make or break a project sometimes. To me, the very best hobby shops are where you have a community where you have a group of people that feed on each other. Uh, and as long as they're not be, feeding on you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that, that can involve clubs, that can involve different kinds of groups. Uh, but when there's a lot of positive energy there, again, with people saying, you know, hey, how did you do that? That's really neat. Uh, or, hey, have you tried this? You know, this is, this is another way to do that. Um, that, yeah, I mean, if we don't have the answer, probably we know somebody who does. Uh, and we'll try and get people hooked up with each other to talk it out, figure well, out a way to do it. Again, having a, a club meeting, you know, we have our club meeting up in, uh, in Oshkosh at a, at a hobby town. The owner's been very generous in providing us space to stay. Uh, our club has been in existence for, well, I've been going for well over 20 years. Uh, I know that there's guys that have been going a lot longer than me. Uh, some of the best modelers, that, in my opinion, uh, guys that are... Uh, regular reviewers for fine scale, you know, um, some that are national caliber winners. But it's kind of nice to be able to sit down, as you say, interact, share a technique, and knowing that, well, you need to use this material or this product, and you can just go over. Because mm -hmm. telling somebody, showing somebody how to do it, how you did it, to solve their problem is one thing. But to put the resources in their hand so that they can go home with it, is one thing that having a hobby shop like this offers. I mean, all those guys that are meeting in churches and schools, that's great. That's half the battle. You're meeting and you're, in, you're, you're interacting with each other and you're sharing your passion and your love for the, for the hobby. But having the ability to do it at a, a hobby shop that has the space, which in some cases some hobby shops don't. It's a tough thing. That's one of those a tough thing as a retailer when you look at an empty table and you could put merchandise there which is paying the rent. Uh, and you've got you to find a way to use the space, if you have it, uh, to make it work out. It's like the chicken or the egg. Exactly. You know, do you get the customer in here, or do you just put the merchandise in here and hope the customer comes in? Uh, but you guys have done a pretty good job because there's been a lot of regular faces. You know everybody by name. They come walking in the door. You know what they want. So you can say, hey, here's the latest thing. Of course, he didn't show you that one product because he's getting senile, right, Bob? <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> he's and right he's when he says I've forgotten a lot of what I did, so I have to have my memory jogged once in a while. Oh, now I remember how to do that. Yeah, I did do that. <laughs> now, the question is, and this is something that is asked a lot, what's the status of our hobby? We're, we're, what's the future of our hobby? Well, that's, again, one of those, because we cover so many areas, we see it different in different places. Uh, the long-term aspects of the plastic model industry, I think it's going to change. Um, right now, you're seeing bigger and bigger and more expensive kits come out. There are some people fighting that trend. Uh, Airfix is one. I'd like to give a plug that uh, I think they're coming out with fantastic new kits at new good prices. Uh, it can still be done. You can still do a good price, good kit at a good price. Um, some of the other companies look at, you know, Trumpeter can charge this much for their kit, so we're going to put that price on our kit, even though it's a reissue from the 1970s, uh, it just in a new box with new decals. That kind of thing, I, I think, is, is really hurting things. Um, I think the biggest thing that's hurt the model side of the industry is when Walmart dropped models. Uh, to me, you don't start a hobby in mail order. There's so few hobby shops now, uh, and, and hobby shops are a kind of a specialized place. I mean, that's a, a place you know what you want. You know you, you know you want to get into a hobby, you want to look for that kind of stuff, you go there. Walmart was a fantastic place for introducing people to models. The kids go roll through the, the toy section, Mom, Mom, I want that, I want that. Okay, fine, here, just take one. Uh, and granted, as a shop, I could not compete with the price at Walmart. But on the 10 kits that they carried, it didn't matter. Uh, once you've built those 10 kits, now you're looking for something else to do, that's when you come find me. We made this comment many times before. If you introduce somebody to a hobby, whether it be somebody who is, you know, young youngster 
or even an adult who's looking for something to do uh, with their spare time or in their retirement, uh, if they had a pleasant experience mm -hmm. with it the first time, chances are they're going to stick with it or come back to it later when they can. Uh, again, it's just getting that exposure. In Our average customer now is 35 plus. They built models when they were a kid, and they're coming back to it now because they remembered pleasant things about doing that. All the wonderful nostalgia kits are really pinging on that really well, reissuing the old kits and the old boxes and all that kind of thing. It's a great thing. Uh, but the kids today, if they're playing Xboxes and stuff like that, when they get to 35+, plus, they won't come back to this because they don't know it. Now, one of the places that I think is going to be interesting for the future of the hobby uh, is the whole 3D revolution with the 3D printing and everything. I can foresee a time in the future when I won't sell you a kit. I'll sell you a file. Uh, here's a, you know, a new Tamiya M1 Abrams kit on this disc. Go home and print it out. Yeah, we talked about that in a, in a previous uh, episode with uh, Vladimir from Edward, mm -hmm. who does a lot of 3D printing themselves to pr for production. Um, he is, his take was it, you know, that's what I, and you and I think a lot alike. It's going to come. When is that going to happen? I don't know. But the problem is we have so many modelers and gamers that are of an age where computers are not their friend. And it's not just going to be as simple as plugging in that disc and it's plug and play and then out, out the printer spits what you're looking for. There is going to have to be some computer knowledge, some uh, knowledge of how to put the right media into the printer and how to, you know, it's, 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 it has some things to change. But it's not going to, I don't think it's going to be as widespread I kind of trying to find well, there, something yeah, that... The two issues with 3D printing that occurred to me is, as with other electronic media that we've seen over the last 20 years, there's no question that it will get better and cheaper at the same time, so that there will be a lot that will be done that way. It may become more commercially viable, it may become more uh, practical on an individual home level, but the two big questions in my mind... Uh, or how long it will take, as you said. I mean, are we talking five years or 20 years? Uh, that depends on how they're able to develop the technology. The other thing is that what I'm seeing in 3D printing now, there are different grades of resolution. And Mike mentioned Tamiya kits. It may well be that, say, in five or 10 years, people can do all sorts of 3D printing to an acceptable level of resolution. But if you want something that is really something special in terms of detail, in resolution, you may still need to buy something in a box with parts that are cast in a different way. You, you were going to say something? Yeah, I was uh, talking on that. Is actually, I saw a uh, Kickstarter uh, for a company that was actually, um, their, their business plan was you as a gamer could submit to them miniatures um, that you... Um, Say I want to do, I have this idea and I want uh, ninja girl cats uh, miniatures. They would work on you, work with you, design them, and then 3D print them. Um, now I don't know if the uh, if it was successful, but obviously that is that's the start. That's you know, you're you're probably going to start seeing more of that and. Again, I can see that going a couple of ways, and that uh, you could, um, the programming may come to the point where you could either do your own programming to have them produce it, mm -hmm. or you could have them do the programming to your sketches or description. Uh, but um, also, it may be possible if you create a master of some sort in a traditional way, sculpting a figure, for example then send it, submit it to them, then they could laser scan it mm -hmm. to turn it into a 3D project. There's all sorts of aspects it, to it, that. It that, all takes how deep yeah. are your pockets, and again, it's all going to be driven by price of what's going to yeah. happen. But the sad thing is, is that that's going to be great and everything, but once we get those figures or get those models, we're still going to need a, you know, need a place, a brick-and-mortar uh, place to get supplies, to get paints. You know, for a gamer like me, I would like a brick-and-mortar stuff so where my, my friends and I can come and play with these great miniatures that I have. Yep. Yes. Well, to go back to the, 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 what people are thinking, the, what the future of the hobby is, um, and as far as the plastics go, 
and the same thing with gaming. There's just so much stuff coming yeah. into the market, and some of yeah. it is fantastic. Yes. Yeah. And it does range in price, but the problem, and it, that everybody thinks, well, the hobby's great. It's yeah, the outlook is great depending on the perspective of where you're standing. Mm -hmm. Now you know that a good majority of your customers are not 21 years old. They're probably 71 years old or even older. That replacement, the people that are exiting the hobby at an exponential rate, is greater than those coming in. Yeah. Well, the younger ones are going to drive that technology development. Uh, and the thing that I hope is that however the technology develops in different aspects of production and uh, creative technology get input into the hobby, what Mike mentioned about community, if it's done right, that would be the core of any good local shop business, that sense of community where you can interact with the customers. The customers have a resource, a creative resource for their hobbies, uh, as well as all the small things, the brushes, paints, and knives and such, which uh, you can walk in and buy off the shelves. Uh, like I said, uh, to my mind, hopefully it'll all come back to that sense of community, the interaction between people face to face. Uh, if the hobby shops continue to thrive, uh, if they're thriving at all, but if they continue to develop and exist, it has to be around that sense of community with, between uh, the, commu uh, uh, the local community uh, at large and the community of customers and, uh, and the uh, people in the shop business itself. You know, one thing you don't find also on the Internet is you walk through the door here, and you guys will attest to this because you've been coming here for quite a long time. Product knowledge. You know, one of the reasons why we're here is to help you guys with some product knowledge for two lines. I mean, but there's thousands of lines here. Uh, that's something you're not going to find. You know, that's what I said. I could get what I want off the internet, I could get it from a big box store in some cases, but I can't get that. I can't get the personal service. And you don't get the, you don't get the history either. You know, no. you've been in this business a long time, you know, <laughs> and that's a, that's a compliment because there's a lot of people in retail. I'm who, no youngster, that's true. <laughs> you know, a lot of people in retail who don't stay very long that's unless true. you're into it by family and this is your means of livelihood. Right. Uh, clerks come and go. But to get somebody who can remember, oh, yeah, I remember when company XYZ produced this and I hear so-and-so, you, you can go back and know that, yeah, this this has got a history. I can tell you, you know, who did this. You can go on a, a website and you say you can do a search on something. That computer, that shopping cart on whoever's site it is, does not have that information unless that was in their database. But since it's not relevant anymore because they're not selling their product, it's no longer available, been out of production, they don't remember it. But and I think I see some used kits around here. Yeah, we buy collections and deal in uh, and some out-of-print type things, too. Uh, so by having that, that knowledge base of what was, and somebody walks in and says, I'm looking for, and sometimes I'll it's tell not going to be on the shelf with all right. the, new, with the new cellophane yeah. on it. Yeah. You might have to go in the back back here and pull and it out of the Sometimes it's harder than that. Uh, once or twice in the past week, I've had to tell a customer, so-and-so made that kit, but I haven't seen one for 30 years. But if you want to go shopping for it on the Internet, here's who made it, and here's what it's called, and good luck with that, because there's no other way to get it. It has not been reissued for a long time. But sometimes the customers appreciate that, that kind of help. Uh, uh, we can't get it for them. It's long, long gone, unless somebody walks in with a collection to sell that happens to have one of those in it. But uh, at least I can help them say, okay, if you want that, here's what you look for. You know, and that's, that's kind of like you're talking about the nostalgic, the repops, uh, the models that we, we, in my generation, they were sow's ears. But you, as a modeler, had to turn them into that silk purse. Yep. And we did it willingly. We loved yep. it. Today, so, yeah. you know, shake the box, it falls out, done. Yeah, that's one of those interesting things. The thing with... with, with kits is they do go out of production for a while and they you have to source them not at a retailer unless he happened to be crazy and buy a whole truckload of the same kit and he's sitting on the only hundred left in the world that haven't been sold yet which is not a good thing 
Not but it has happened. It has happened. <laughs> but uh, I know somebody who uh, went looking for a model of the B36, Monogram's 172nd scale yes. B36. It had been out of production for quite a while and found one. You know, hey, eBay, found it, paid, you know, three figures for it, mm -hmm. well over the $100 mark for it, and said, hey, later decided I don't want it, I'm going to sell it at one of the swap meets, and had a, he took a little bit of a hit. It was still at 100 Well, why would I want to buy that one if I'm just buying it for the purpose of buying it to build, yeah. not as a collector because of the box? Yes. Why don't I just buy the re-release, which just came out, and it's only $39? Yes. That's one of those yes. things that comes back. They re-release them every once in a while, and when they do, the collector's prices take a hit. And even in some cases, retailer's prices take a hit if it goes out oh, for a can. short time, and they come back at a lower price. Yeah. That hurts you. I've, I've had that happen. We've had prices lower. We see it more uh, right now, for instance, in the radio control, because radio control keeps going down in price, getting better and cheaper. And if you have something sit on the shelf too long, it's both out of date and it's overpriced. Uh, they've come out with something better and cheaper, and you're kind of stuck. I wish that had held true for plastic models. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you think about that, you can just play the timetable a little mm -hmm. bit. Of course, the retailers would probably be smart and not stock the stuff. But. Absolutely. Yeah, but the manufacturers have been, have been responsive to the customers in one respect. I've seen, and most of them do this, whether they're European or... Uh, Tamiya in Japan or the American companies is when they release a new kit they've got to cover the cost of the tooling so new kits go up and up year by year because of the investment they have to put into getting those molds made if they re-release an older kit all they have to cover is the production cost so they can sell that at a significantly lower level than something similar in a newer kit with more detail and more parts and so we're seeing a lot of the companies now, they're keeping a balance in their line between newer kits and older kits, which often gives people a budget alternative. If they're looking for a state-of-the-art Corsair in 48 scale, we've got these over here for 40 50 bucks. If you want a, an accurate, good Corsair without that much detail, we have a, an Ari or a Ravel monogram kit here for under 20 bucks. And so it's nice to see, in a sense, the companies themselves are actually being responsive in a lot of ways. And that's one of the, that's one of the things that technology is actually, I think, in a way hurting us, is back in the day, in the 50s and 60s and 70s, a model manufacturer tooled a mold that was never going to wear out. They were doing them in steel. Mm -hmm. Today... Mm -hmm. They're using composite materials that have a much shorter lifespan, where they were able to cast a million, you know, just as a number. Yeah, but they're only going to do five, five or ten thousand. There can be a plus side to that too, because most of those kinds of molds are being done by smaller companies who don't expect to have an extended production run, which actually, in the benefit. If you accept the shorter production life, it gives more variety in the market because these smaller companies are putting things out that the bigger companies aren't bothering to do. So even though uh, the overall hobby market may be smaller than it was, say, 50 years ago, I've never seen as much variety uh, in the past as I do these days. You mentioned Trumpeter. Yes. When's the last time you've seen Trumpeter do a re-release? I haven't really seen that they yet. They haven't been around that long either. Uh, they, they're they less than 20 years, I think, as far as my experience goes. And the early kits they did, frankly, were not very good. It was sometime in the later but 90s. But has that ever stopped yeah. the model company from not releasing a not very good <laughs> <True> kit? <enough>. No, but <laughs> I think enough. Trumpeter's coming out with so many only, new kits. If they yeah. had the only bar soap and towel that <laughs> yeah. looked like that. <laughs> yeah, but they're going gangbusters with, with their new releases. And uh, even their older kits they have in production are only a few years old. So they've got good technology behind them. But those early kits, uh, uh, if they re-release those even at lower prices, they might not sell well because they were not Well, I think good. they probably wouldn't sell well because I know some distributors are still sitting on a lot of them. So <laughs> yes, that's true, too. Some of that, too. They're, we, they're, we probably have a few. <laughs> they're, they're not going to want to you know, take on more. Uh, but, yeah, there's so much new stuff coming out. I mean, the... the, the it seems to be a real strength on everything from the 60s, you know. Uh, World War II has always been strong, but now mm -hmm. we're seeing more Cold War. 
it's it's us one of those Cold things. War veterans are yeah. getting up there. We're really they're going back to fill in some gaps. Uh, the um, uh, Hasegawa has gone back and done new tooling kits of some World War II bombers that were the the kits that were on the market before were awfully old. They've done things like B-25s, B-26s, JU-88s, and HE-111s. And these were kits that until they did these, the only choices were old kits with, with rather poor detail and fit. Uh, but so, we love yeah. those kits. Up to a point. Well, that's, that's, again, one of those interesting things. Because when my dad would talk about when Aurora first came out with some of their stuff, uh, and you had the pilot was molded into the fuselage and you put those halves of the fuselage and they didn't line up but it was so cool because they had a pilot different things like that that each of those introductions of something new of wow they actually had landing gear or they but if had it this. wouldn't have been if it wouldn't have been for those kits we would not have oh, absolutely the aftermarket that we have today yeah it's a stepping stone process companies and individuals learn from what's gone before and improve on it as they go and the state of the art we have now reflects the fact that most model builders would not settle for the state of the art as it was 30 or even 20 years ago. Now, but the thing goes back to getting people into the hobby at a mm -hmm. price point that they can afford to go start something. Those kits, is, you know, the old Hawk, and they, there was a resurgence there of Hawk Lindbergh for a while, and that kind of fluttered away. But those kits, as you said, the nostalgic effect, those kits were perfect to try a grandkid or yes. a young adolescent or even somebody who's Lindbergh an adult. still has a lot of those kits on the market today. They do. They do. And those kits, they weren't, like you say, the fit wasn't there. Uh, but it's that starting point. And as long as you can yep. make that enjoyable and affordable, mm -hmm. because that's a big factor today, make that initial exposure yep. enjoyable and affordable, that they'll come back. And around here with the naval training, if somebody wants a model of an old Stearman biplane trainer, Lindbergh's the only one. Still. Well, there's one coming out from, who is it, Kitty Hawk? That would, that would be great. I've seen, some, I've yeah. seen something on that recently that there's yeah. a Stearman coming out, and it'll be... That's a classic. You're going yeah. to have a wall full because you're going to have to have yeah. them because they're going to go so and that's fast. And that's a classic case where we carry both kits. In other words, if somebody needs a cheap one, the Lindbergh kit's still pretty good. But if somebody wants one that's really good, a new kit would be a great thing to have on the shelf. In talking about ways to get kids in, uh, over the years, my attitude has been anything that gets kids into the hobby is a great thing. Uh, back in the 90s when I was carrying lowrider cars, I'm not a lowrider guy. I was not excited by these. But all the kids were into the lowriders, and by golly, I was going to carry all the rims and the hopper kits and all that kind of stuff. I remember Because if they get into it, one day, maybe they'll build something I like more. Yeah. Uh, Gundam Robots was the same kind of thing. We went through a phase of all the kids wanted Gundams. Uh, right now, one of the things I'm most excited about this year is Vesda came out with the models of all of the, the characters from planes and cars uh, yep. in snap-tight kits. Yeah, that's fantastic. That ought to get a bunch of kids in. Um, if we can get that out there and, and get kids well, exposed to that, that's a wonderful thing. We, we all talk about getting the kids in. The kids aren't the ones with the money. Well, That's some true. of them are. Well, yeah. <laughs> but we it's to get the parent, the aunt, the uncle, the grandparents, and whoever else influences them to and takes the them to bring the kids yes. in. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, maybe, you know, in the retail industry, I know in the hardware industry, there's, I didn't, come up north, uh, we came down south here and walked into a Walgreens, and the first time I've ever seen a coffee bar in a Walgreens. Now, up by us, they don't exist. But down here in the south... Walked into one, and there's a, there's a coffee bar. I'm like, what? Well, they offer the same planograms in the hardware industry, and that's something that different hardware stores can have as well. Maybe you guys are going to have to start thinking, you know, like the rest of the uh, retailers do, and say, what can I put in my store to get those people in here? Exactly. You know? What well, is one it? Of the, one of the other programs that's still good is the, the make-and-take SnapTight kits, uh, like Ravel Monogram puts out the kits for. And we have one of the local modelers who does regular classes down at the library teaching kids and doing a wonderful thing of, of getting out and exposing the hobby to different people. Uh, and things like that, getting exposure out there is, is an important thing, uh, getting people to see that we're here. Um, 
one of the things that I'm entertained with uh, is the, the, I think, very positive trend in the mainstream media of not portraying modelers and gamers as quite as bad as they used to in the past. We, we still come across kind of badly, but with the, the success of Big Bang Theory uh, and some different shows like that, the geeks are the heroes. And, you know, finally, it's okay to be a geek and be into this kind of stuff. You don't have to be embarrassed about being a modeler or a gamer. Uh, that it's, it's much more mainstream and it's okay. The glue-sniffing generation is gone. Exactly. Huh? <laughs> exactly. Well, I agree. We've, we've, we covered a lot of things. I think we solved all the problems. I think everything's going to be... The world's going to gonna go. be a better place. The world's <laughs> going to be a better place. <laughs> no, at least within a 50-mile radius. <laughs> but that's just something, you know, in this one, you have a Facebook page. We have a Facebook page. Uh, we have a website, www.bobieshobbyhouse.com. That's yeah, B-O-B-E-S. Uh, B-O-B-E-S, H-O-B-B-Y, H-O-U-S-E. Um, yeah, we've got a Facebook page. We post a lot of pictures on there. Um, we've got a gaming group that meets here. We have a model airplane group that meets here. We have an armor modeler group that meets here. Uh, there's also a local figure modeling club, a local IPMS chapter. Um, all these groups will be getting together. Modular Railroad Club? All these groups will be getting together in the plastic side. We'll be hosting our, our local contest March 15th uh, out at University of West Florida, uh, getting everybody exposed out there and get more people into it. Um, but we're trying to do what we can to keep the hobby alive down here. Well, I'm glad you took some time and uh, sat and talked with us for a little while. And I just, if we can do anything for you as far as the show or Rex or Zeron, let us know. Uh, we hopefully get to see uh, you either at an upcoming uh, either iHobby or at the Nats. Um, hopefully so. Hopefully so. I know it's hard to get away from the store. You know? Sometimes. But as you pointed out, when you're visiting a community like Pensacola, put the hobby shop, Bobies, on your list as a must-see destination. You've always got to check out. Wherever you go, always check out the hobby shops. It's not like McDonald's. Everyone's different. You never know what you're going to find. And even like from here to Mobile, if you're going to go visit the USS Alabama. Oh, there's a wonderful pile of things to go in this neighborhood. Uh, within a three-hour radius of us, uh, if you start in New Orleans, you've got the National World War II Museum. Uh, Hattiesburg, Mississippi, there's the Mississippi Armed Forces Museum, which is fantastic. In Mobile, there's the Battleship Alabama, which not only has the battleship, they have the USS Drum Submarine. They have a wonderful collection of aircraft. They have a lot of armor. Uh, here in Pensacola, the Naval Aviation Museum is one of the top aviation museums in the world. And it's free. And it's free. Uh, just down the beach at Eglin, you have the uh, Air Force Armament Museum. Uh, just a little farther up the road in Dothan, you, uh, you have the uh, Army Aviation Museum. I mean, there's an incredible amount of stuff within just a couple of hours of us that you can do a whole tour around the area and see lots of wonderful stuff. So if you're driving, like, to say Disney World, mm -hmm. you come this way, way <laughs> stop in Pensacola, check out Bobby's, and gentlemen, happy modeling. That's right, Chippy. Zeron tools are the perfect choice for our hobby and craft projects. They are made here in the USA. They are quality tools that offer the highest precision as well as comfort and durability. Let's not forget about their excellent warranty. Yes, Chippy, you have your own special needs, which Zeron tool provides the best and most affordable solution for. And we know you demand only the very best. Zeron tools are available from most hobby and craft stores. Visit Zeron.com today. Zeron is spelled X-U-R-O-N. We want to thank Zeron tools for being a supporter of the Plastic Scale Modeling Hour. Since 1945, Revell has been the leader in plastic scale model kits. Their designers are passionate about scale model authenticity and model building. Revell offers a huge selection of accurately detailed cars, trucks, ships, aircraft, spacecraft, plus much, much more. To learn more about Revell and its products, visit their website, Revell.com. Be sure to like their Facebook page, too. Pick up a Revell kit today, and soon you'll be saying, I made that. That's the theme that introduces the Big Man Jump program 
If big band music makes your scale modeling time more enjoyable, join me, Don Kennedy, for Big Band Jump. After listening to this week's episode of the Plastic Scale Modeling Hour Talk Radio for Scale Modelers, click on the BBJ icon to join me for the latest edition of Big Band Jump. We welcome your attendance. VideoWorkbench.com is the place to learn to build and paint model kits like an expert. Hosted by award-winning hobbyist and owner of Video Workbench, Jason Garris, his videos show how to achieve top-quality, contest-winning results and demonstrates how anyone can make great-looking scale model kits no matter the age or skill level. Join VideoWorkbench.com and Jason Garris on Facebook, YouTube, Blip.tv, and iTunes to learn the latest tips, tools, and techniques. The Plastic Scale Modeling Hour has been generously supported by Excel Hobby Blades, manufacturer of the world's finest blades. When you need a keen and accurate cut, trust only Excel Hobby Blades. Visit your local hobby, craft, or hardware retailer for a complete selection of blades, handles, and tools today. Excel Hobby Blades, Patterson, New Jersey. If you want to be a guest or suggest a guest, if you want to promote your scale modeling event, organization, or to learn how you can support or sponsor this program, contact us by email. Our address is mailbag at theplasticscalemodelinghour.com. Fellow scale modeling enthusiasts, remember, it's not the workbench that makes the model, it is the modeler at the workbench. I'm Hawkeye. It's been my pleasure bringing you another episode of the Plastic Scale Modeling Hour, talk radio for scale modelers. The Plastic Scale Modeling Hour is produced, copyrighted, and syndicated by Voigt Media. The reproduction or reprogcasting of this program is prohibited without the written consent of Voigt Media. Until next time, see ya! See ya!